Hi, Simon Hill here. Enjoy our podcast. If you'd like to help us keep delivering the sort of quality football chat you want, then you can show your support by making a donation. Big or small, however much you can afford, we appreciate all your help and every cent will be ploughed back into improving production. Thanks in advance from all of us at Shim, Spider and so much more. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. much more take it away fellas yes hello again and welcome along to the latest episode of shim spider and so much more we thought we were an arachnid short this week when zelko kalatz revealed he was jetting off to greece to start a new job with zanti but we reckon without the big fella's determination not to mention his jet lag so he is with us as per via zoom along with craig moore for our weekly chat about all things football. Uh, good to see you guys. Uh, we'll start with Spider's big news. Spider, how did all this come about? All I've got to say is, hell out of here, boys. <laughs> <laughs> how did this happen? How did we Mate, lose you? La- la- last minute.com, Tony Popovich. Uh, yeah, just said we've got this opportunity. Uh, it all happened very quickly on Tuesday afternoon. It was all sorted. And uh, Thursday night, we jetted off. And, and that was it, new adventure. And how are you finding it so far, Spider? Besides the jet lag, it's fantastic. We've had a little walk around the, the training setup uh, at the field. It's, it all, it's all looking fantastic. Today is actually our first day. It is 5 a.m. in the morning here, local Zanti time. Uh, so we're, we're looking forward to it. We kick off today training. We've got about 35 players it's going to be very interesting weeding through all these uh, players and uh, putting the team together. What sort of squad, Spider? In terms of you say you've got 35 players there, uh, again, in Europe, that's pretty much a, a normal roster. But will you be looking to yourself and Tony to, to reduce those numbers due to everything that's happening with, uh, with COVID? Yeah, look, Maury, I think uh, the first thing is we've got a lot of young players at the moment that are under contract. So we want to have a look at those players first. Uh, Popper's in the process of uh, finding some players uh, and along with the uh, sporting director and all that. So today, I think the first week, Maury, will be just uh, weeding out the players and then we'll try to put assemble a team. I think we, we spoke about it yesterday about having 22-man squad. 
So it's going to take some time, as you know, here, and players are coming and going and the amount of managers that are sending players through is incredible. There's players playing all over the world that want to come to Zunfi all of a sudden. Um, Spider, Bill Papas, who of course owns Sydney Olympic um, here in Australia, is looking to regenerate the club and uh, your move along with Popper and Arthur Dillis is, is a part of that. The club's just been relegated to the second division in Greece. They lost a playoff to Apollon Smyrnis. But uh, I understand there might be some sort of an appeal which may yet see you restored to the top league. Is that right? Yeah, welcome to Greece, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're, still, we're still appealing. Uh, look, I don't know where it's at. Uh, there's a lot of movement happening. We're not going to know more till the end of this week what division we're in, what league. Uh, they are appealing because apparently Polk's president had a percentage in the club that wasn't allowed. Zanthi lost 12 points, which put him in the relegation spot. Then they had to play two playoff matches and they actually played the playoff players with the under-19 team because they had no players signed. So, yeah, it was, it was chaos. But Bill Pappas has now officially taken over as a Zanthi owner which is fantastic and exciting times here. And Maury, you should see the setup here. Seriously, it's, it's unbelievable. It really is unbelievable. It's a club with a massive history, never being relegated, never being in the second division once they come up to the first division in Greece. So, you know, hopefully we can restore that. And I'm sure uh, with, with Popper's guidance and Bill Pappas's knowledge, I think it's going to be uh, a brilliant and exciting time ahead. You touch on that, Spides, in terms of the facilities. We obviously had, uh, you know, an, an experience, and it was it was a good experience at, at Kavala, uh, which was a, was a lovely little uh, fishing village. How does how does this compare? Uh, facilities are important in terms of when you want to instill that professionalism, and that sounds fantastic. That you you seem to have a good base, um, and and now to be able to bring some professionalism to that club. But how different to Kavala is it? Oh, Maury, you, you remember the grounds we trained at Kavala? Like it, it looked like they took the cows off five minutes before we started training. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, this joint here is completely different. It's, it has two fantastic uh, fields for the, for the first team. Unbelievable setups like dressing rooms, physios, uh, uh, ice bars, massage areas, all the, all the kit and caboodle. Uh, the stadium is... 25-metre walk to get to the main stadium. And then they have a hotel there. They, they call it La Chalet. It's a beautiful hotel with another six fields where the youth train and the hotel where the players sleep and a big pool. Maury, seriously, it's it's astound me to, to see how good this place is. Oh, Popper's going to love that, by the way. Oh, on, mate, the players on, on, no on-site residents, mate. What about the training camps? <laughs> oh, in you go straight into the hotel room, boys, and don't go home for two weeks. <laughs> um, Spider Australians have been involved in, in Greek football before. Remember, I think it was Con Macris who owned Panahaiki, or I, th- I think I pronounced that correctly, which which wasn't particularly successful. Ange Postacoglu was coached there uh, for a short while. Now, of course, you, you've worked with Popper before at, at the Wanderers and. You both had a stint in Turkey with Karabuk Spore in, in 17-18. It didn't last very long. What have you learned from that experience, the pair of you, that uh, perhaps you can... Uh, I, I hesitate to use the words do better because I think there was obviously a lot of off-field politics which impacted upon you know, your pretty short tenure. But uh, do, do you think that you've, you've picked up things that you, you can do better this time? Yeah, look... Uh... 
people don't realise that in Turkey, it, it was uh, we were on a death ride as soon as we basically got there because the president lost his position and he brought Popper and us in. So we, we were always going to be gone. So our stay there was going to be very short. But I can tell you one thing. I, I think what we've learned, and I think Bill Pappas is going to play a big part, and I think he must have done a great job to talk Popper into taking this. You know, having the stability of an owner that you know, that know our mentality, know how we're going to work, to give Popper the freedom to, to do simply what he done at Wanderers when Wanderers was born, uh, I think that's an exciting project. And I think that's something that... Uh, Everyone here at Zanthi wants to do because, as I said to you, it's a club with a great heritage. Maury, have you got any stories of uh, your time with Spider at uh, Kavala back in 09-10? Yeah, look, I mean, the big man was, was um, he was instrumental in getting me to Kavala. Um, but I think uh, I've told the story quite a few times. Um, within 10 days, the big man was out and I was, I was stuck in Kavala. Um, <laughs> yeah, but hey, 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 hey. You, you I, went I, to a World I, Cup, son. You went to a World Cup, son. Nah, there was a there was a plan in place, Simon. And and like I said, Spider uh, football's all about introduction and, and and networks. And you know, he played a big part for me to to get that opportunity. And I ended up playing 15, 16 games, Spider, with with Kavala, yeah. and it, and it tied in beautifully because I went into that World Cup, although being um, an older player, I'd gone in uh, with virtually the most top three most minutes out of that whole squad for, for that World Cup in 2010. So it was, it was a good time and it was a great experience and it was a new experience for me as well. Spider, we've got a Twitter question from uh, Noel Hopper. Uh, any plans to take A-League players uh, to Greece? Now, that there is some talk today that uh, Tony Popovich is going to bring his two sons over, Gabriel and, and Christian Popovich. Can you tell us any more about that? Well, I'm guessing he would because they're a part of the family. So I think his wife and his other son's got to come as well. Right. Okay. Well, oh, good is... answer, Spider. Good answer. <laughs> he's, he's into the diplomacy already, no, isn't he? No, no, look, great answer. Look, you, you know what actually annoys me? And, and it does annoy me. Like, I mean, so Popper's bringing his sons. Let me yeah. tell you, Christian Popovic is that one hell of a player, mate. And he's, he's 19 years old or 18 years old. And... People all of a sudden uh, have this thing about Popper playing his sons. But Ivan Cleary's son plays for the Penrith Panthers as well. And what, he's a bad player. Just, mate, just let the kid be. Let the kid, let the kid have his own future. Now, whether Popper decides to keep him here at Zanthi with him, I, I actually don't know. We haven't spoken about that at the moment. But as a family, I'm sure they're going to come over. Do I think they're good enough to play in Europe and go somewhere else? Possibly, if it's here, we haven't looked at the young players here, Maury, as well. So we need a little bit, a little bit smart in the way that we look at the younger players here and give them that opportunity. But as yeah. as players, both Christian Popovic and, and Gabriel Popovic are very good young players. Uh, but Spider, the the reality is, mate, they're moving as a family, and Correct. for the ne- for the next six months in Australia, what are they actually missing? Football. Correct. So that's a, it's, it's a great option, whether, as you said, whether it's at Zanti or whether it's another club. With the next six months in Australia, we've had many discussions and, and we'll lead into a little bit today as well. There's not a great deal of activity in the next six months in Australia. Absolutely. Yeah, look, uh, I, I'm a little bit... Uh, I think both, both boys have a very bright future. Uh, whether Papa decides to keep him in... Well, Papa's a very, very good coach. So he knows that for his kids to get the best development, it's probably a good idea to train under him because he'll give them a great opportunity to get better. 
And we all know, Maury, that 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds, to break it into Europe, is very difficult. Second part of the question from uh, Noel Hopper, just a quick one. Do you know which former Man City manager was head coach of Zanti back in the day? Quiz question. Uh, was it Kendall? Yeah, Howard Kendall. Probably, probably Howard been Kendall. better saying uh, former Everton manager, to be fair. He's more famous for them. But, uh, yeah. but you know why I know that? Because I've seen the 250 coaches that coached Zanthi on a wall the other day when we went <laughs> through it. He, he coached for seven, seven matches, Maury. His record was two, two wins, two draws and four losses or something like that. Three losses. See you later, son. See you later, mate. Off you go. <laughs> Let's hope you last a bit longer than that, Spider. Um, uh, before we move on to Simon Says, Maury... Uh, what have you been up to? Great, great news for Spider. We wish you all the best. Fantastic. Mate. Obviously, we, we miss you on the podcast, but uh, we're, we're going to rattle your cage every, uh, every, every, every week. morning over there in Greece. Maury, what have you been up to this week? Yeah, look, Simon, to be honest with you, uh, again, trying to prepare and plan for what, you know, what the next few months looks like. It's, it's going to be very quiet in, in Australia. We've not had a, a lot of publicity. Speaking to a lot of people on the street, you know, even talking about the grand final and that, um, just that that marketing and that awareness of our game is is, is not really out there, um, mate. So the next three to six months, got to try to take the bull by the horns and, and looking at solutions for myself, um, in, in in what I can contribute to football. Um, so look, difficult times for everybody involved, um, but at the same time, uh, it can be exciting times because new doors can open. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, guys, uh, for the moment. Uh, let's get into Simon Says. Simon Says. So as we embark upon the long off season with no idea as to when the next one will start, one burning issue is at the top of the agenda. Without a resolution to it, who knows what the next A-League campaign will look like? I'm talking, of course, about the collective bargaining agreement between the PFA, the Players' Union, and the FFA and its A-League and W-League clubs. Now, with the game having taken a big hit to its broadcast deal, the clubs are seeking big pay cuts for some players and a salary cap likely to fall from the current $3.6 million to just $2.1. The salary floor is also rumoured to be dropping to $1.7 million. Now, the clubs say this is to protect the survival of the competition, but with up to 80 players coming off contract, this, of course, creates a huge deal of uncertainty. Players have mortgages, families to take care of, and many have already taken a huge hit just to get the most recent season done and dusted. One player, Rostin Griffiths, said just last week that it was no longer their responsibility to keep fixing the league. He has a point. COVID has impacted upon everything, of course. Many people have lost jobs, while others have faced significant pay cuts or been placed on JobKeeper. Football is not immune from these issues. Clubs are struggling. Everyone understands that. They have collectively lost millions. And some of those losses will inevitably be passed on to the players. But is there a compromise solution? Could we, for example, have a cap-free year where clubs are able to negotiate individually with players? Some will pay more, some less. Critics will say such a system would skew the A-League towards the bigger clubs. But what is the alternative? An even but poor quality playing field with the better players leaving vapour trails on their way to the airport? How does that help secure the investment the game so badly needs over the coming months? Perhaps a better outcome would be staggered collective cuts over a period of, let's say, three years. This would provide the players with some security, protect the clubs to an extent from the effects of COVID and the lower TV deal, and provide an opportunity for investors to come in safe in the knowledge that expenditure will be reduced incrementally 
over a set period of time, on playing staff at least. It could even be an incentive while protecting some of the league's better playing assets and thus keeping at least some of that quality at home. Crucially, this would also put industrial relations on the back burner at a time when the game needs to focus on finding those big money investors, including, incidentally, a new naming rights partner for the A-League after the expiration of the Hyundai deal. The last thing the league needs, surely, is open warfare with its biggest assets, its players in the current climate. A three-year agreement with a gentler slope of reduced pay would also lead us into the Women's World Cup to be held in Australia and New Zealand in 2023. After all, this CBA is not just for the A-League, but for the W League as well. Hopefully, once COVID clears, the economic climate will improve and the game can reset for a brighter future. But it's this interim period that is critical, a time for survival of cost-cutting, yes, but of clear thinking, not swinging cuts to stave off short-term difficulty. The game has had too many of these moments, too much firefighting, not enough strategy. I have sympathy with both the players and the clubs. Both are suffering, yet COVID is not the architect. It's merely sped up a process and highlighted how poorly the game and the league has been run for years. Once the pandemic hit, football had little goodwill to fall back on, either within the corporate world or even in its own community, and all on the back of a governance war that was ruinous for the A-League in particular. Now is the time to heal the wounds and come together to find compromise solutions. Because if stakeholder is again pitted against stakeholder, then the A-League and W-League's future looks rather gloomy, in my opinion. Spider, Maury, your view. Look, I, I think you've touched on everything there, haven't you, Simon? That's, that's the reality at the moment. So uh, they need to find the solutions quite quickly. And, you know, the, the timeline of when we are going to start the A-League again is very important because doesn't Fox deal finish at the end of June? Yes, July. So the later, the later it goes, the more compact and compressed the league's going to be. So there's going to be chaos even in that. So the sooner they can start will actually make the league look more, more reasonable. In, uh, in the meantime, uh, James Johnson and Arnie and the new technical directors and the boards that they have there have a lot of work to do because we need to start to get uh, major sponsors back into the game. We don't know where it's going to be crowd-wise. I mean, it is different, even in Europe, watching football matches without crowds. It's just not the same, is it? Yeah, and, and I think, Spider, you touch on in terms of how we, <coughs> how we bring money into the game. And, and I kind of, at, at this moment in time, feel as if we haven't really capitalised on the success of the Women's World Cup bid. Uh, if, we've got a, if we've got a three- to five-year plan, we should have people, if they're doing their jobs properly, that are desperate to be involved in what looks like a very, very bright future for the amount of, of um, eyes that we're going to have on our country in the next couple of years. Um, look, in, in terms of squads and all that, Simon, with um, you know, salary caps and all that, we know the salary cap's not a leveller, but the longer things go, and if there's going to be further reductions, maybe clubs, maybe clubs will look at reducing their rosters. Yeah, and the CBA, Maury, I think that's due to, to come out at the end of this week. And the players, they've asked the players to take, what, 30, 30% cuts and the way they've done it. I don't know the exact way that they've done it, but, you know, clubs can give a player an offer and if he doesn't take it, he's free within seven days. This is going to be really interesting. This is almost like a Moneyball type situation. Yeah, yeah. Well, the issue... uh, it's a, it... Sorry, Sorry Simon. It can be it can be a real defining again. You know, every every now and the, now and then in in the game, there's the, there's this this moment of change, uh, and and 
and you need to come up with solutions. But potentially, we could have what 70, 60, 70, 80 players, um, not knowing what you know what their their future uh, or their futures are going to be. And Simon, you touch on they're, they're, they've got families, they've got bills, they've got mortgages. So you know, really tough times. It is imperative we uh, we get this right, and uh, let's hope all the stakeholders can find. Uh, a good solution. Thanks, guys, for the moment. Let's uh, move on to hard talk. Hard talk. So the A-League season is done and dusted. So how does the game reset for next season with uh, the CBA being the exception, as we've already discussed that? What does it look like? When does it start? What changes do we need? Do we start in December? Do we start in February? Do we start in March? How many games did we play with a 12-team league? Do we keep VAR? Do we keep the five subs rule? What's happening with the second division? Does Canberra come in? Are we going to see the launch of FFA TV? I mean, we could be here for about five hours. What are your thoughts, uh, guys? Maury, we'll start with you. What does this league look like next year? Well, it is going to be next year, Simon. You know, so hopefully that's an early start in January, but we're still a little bit uncertain. But I think it will be a next season start. 12 teams. Um, so that my gut feeling is that you're going to have a, a 22 game. Uh, Spider touched on the, 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 the Fox contract running out in June. So a shorter season, potentially 22 games, uh, two rounds, and then going into to a final series. VAR, unfortunately, guys, is going gonna, is gonna to stick. Um, five subs rule, I think, will go back to um, previous uh, in terms of the, 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 the three subs. Second division, we, we, we're hearing talks about that, Simon, but that's uh, 2022. That's what the, the talk is in terms of when that's going to launch. Canberra have shown great interest Um but we'd like to see it get to 16 teams sooner rather than later, even for 2022, Simon. Would that not be a good shout? Well, the sooner the better. At least get up to 14 teams and then we could have uh, you know, an equal sort of home and away season of 26 rounds, which I think would, uh, would be ideal uh, in the interim. But uh, we'll have to wait and see if, if, if that eventuates. Spidey, your thoughts? Yeah, look, uh, I don't mind the five subs. Rule, Maury, but I know that was put in place, obviously, because of the uh, COVID, because the players hadn't done a pre-season properly. You know, you know the thing that, that actually interests me? Like, So now they've, they've played and finished the A-League. They'll only have short breaks. So by having only short breaks, you would think they could actually start playing matches sooner. The problem is, you know, getting into interstate, the travel, this is all a big problem. Like, is Melbourne going to play out of Melbourne? Are these teams out of Melbourne going to play in Melbourne? Or is there going to be another hub? Where's Wellington going to play, play from? Like, they're all really big problems that have to get resolved very quickly. Well, well teams, funny, funny you say that, Spides. I mean, certainly a Wellington, for example, uh, I'm, I'm sure already looking at solutions. So potentially if there is a hub scenario, that they actually just move them and base themselves in Australia. Yeah. I think what will probably Again. happen is that, is that we will have a delayed start to the season, possibly as late as March, uh, to, to try and circumvent the, the, the worst excesses of COVID. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully by you know, that time, we're, we're back to something approaching normality, even if we don't have you know, full admittance for crowds in the stadiums. But clearly with the A-League club still, at least in part, dependent upon gate revenues, um, 
we need to sort of, I think, stretch it out as long as possible. Uh, whether a short-term deal could be done with Fox to extend that deal to September, October to get to get the season finished uh, remains to be seen. But I, th- I think that's uh, th- that's all stuff that the FFA and the clubs are looking at. And I, I, I just have a feeling we're looking at a, a later start uh, rather yeah. than an earlier one so that we can get back to something approaching normality, but we shall see. Um, now, guys, what we're going to do is we're going to go through each of the clubs individually and uh, assess their season. I want your, your marks out of 10 as well for each club. So let's uh, kick off with uh, Adelaide United. What do we make of their season? They won the FFA Cup, of course, under Herchem Babek, who then later departed after uh, a rather poor run of form. Uh, we saw the emergence of the young Tores, Mohammed and Al-Hassan. Uh, good luck to him, by the way. It's just that ankle surgery, Al-Hassan Toure. A great season for Riley McGree. And then they ultimately finished off unbeaten under Carl Veert, but uh, unfortunately just missed the finals. Maury, your assessment of, uh, of the Reds? Yeah, look, after uh, an ordinary start under a manager that never, unfortunately, worked for the football club, I think Adelaide are now uh, a club... Uh, where there is a, a clear identity of who they want to be uh, in terms of promoting good young uh, South Australian talent. Um, and they'll look to try and get the best uh, young Australian players as well. Carl Viet's done a wonderful job and, and his experience has been with those, those youth players, uh, Simon. So he had a fantastic finish to the season. And for me, Adelaide United have a good roster, um, which I quite like. And I think it hopefully can be a very exciting um, future for Adelaide United under Carl Viet. I, I think that they've done quite well in terms of how they've finished the season. Uh, Mark's out of yeah. 10, Maury. Uh, I'll give Adelaide a 6 out of 10. 6 out of 10. Spider, go. Yeah, me too. I give Adelaide a 6 out of 10 simply because they didn't make the playoffs. Uh, they finished off the season very well and everyone was excited about that, but they still didn't make the playoffs. It'll be interesting uh, to see what kind of job Carl Viet does when he gets going again in the A-League and whether they can make the playoffs. And I think teams around Australia need to actually stop saying we need to make the playoffs. Teams around Australia need to say we're going to win the championship. Yeah, good call. Marks out of 10? Six, you said. Six. Sorry, I missed that. Um, let's move on to Brisbane Raw, who uh, re-emerged under Robbie Fowler after finishing last but one the season before. Uh, they ended up by qualifying for the Asian Champions League uh, playoff, which is a, a pretty good response. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Robbie Fowler left mid-season post-COVID. Warren Moon came in. Still a few issues off the pitch with this uh, uh, issue surrounding Robbie Fowler, which looks as though it, it may drag on. Uh, mm-hmm. And Logan Council as well, um, uh, threatening litigation against the club. What, what did you make of the Raw, Maury? Hey, well, that's uh, off the field. It's pretty stock standard for the Raw, unfortunately. Uh, but in terms of, look, Robbie Fowler, I thought, done a, done a, and Tony Grant done a fantastic job. Stabilised uh, the, the football team, brought in some, some good players. And, and look, without being um, highly entertaining, which Brisbane Raw previously have been, they were very professional uh, went about their business in a good way and were hugely improved from the season before. Marks out of 10? I'd give Brisbane Raw, uh, I'd give them also a 6 out of 10 because I think that there was, uh, there was decent improvement and I think they've got an opportunity to stabilise now. Okay, Spider? Yeah, I, I, I actually give them a 7 out of 10, Maury. I actually thought they'd done a fantastic job this year. I do agree that they didn't play this attacking, gallivanting football but they got results and they were hard to beat. They were resilient. Uh, very good season. 
whether they can build on that is my big query. Big query. Okay, seven out of 10 from Spider. Let's move on to the Central Coast Mariners. Unfortunately, bottom again. That's uh, three times in the last four seasons. Uh, Mike Charlesworth obviously putting the club up for sale. Some rumours of Canberra buying the licence. Um, the stadium management rights were up for grabs up there in Gosford. But uh, the Mariners mm-hmm. have been uh, knocked back by the local council, which is, uh, to me, just extraordinary, given I, I know there's uncertainty over the ownership, but they're the only professional club o- on the Central Coast. Um, but anyway, the stadium issues aside, uh, the Mariners' season, Maury? Yeah, look, I mean, very, very hard to be positive about the Mariners, Simon. Uh, off the field, on the field, everything has been extremely, uh, extremely poor from this football club now for third consecutive season. So probably not going to talk any much more. I would be giving them a two. They need to improve massively. Spider. Yeah, me, I'd go, I'd go as low as a, a two as well, Maury. Uh, just simply because I'm actually quite sick of talking about the Central Coast. I just want them to fix the place. Because, I mean, you know, people were saying at one stage of the season, and I'm talking about journalists that report about football, how well Central Coast are doing. Mate, they're doing rubbish. They, they weren't even close to the playoffs. They were always close to being last and down the bottom. So, mate, fix the joint up. Rubbish too. Sometimes you've got to be cruel to be kind. They need to improve. You're not sitting on the fence, guys. I like it. Um, Melbourne City, first grand final. Uh, FA yeah. Cup final they got to as well, although they got hammered by Adelaide in the big showpiece uh, event at Highmarsh. Uh, first Champions League qualification, uh, the form of Jamie McLaren, very, very good. The emergence of Tom Glover and Connor Metcalf and one or two others. Uh, and then, of course, they ended up the season with uh, uh, Eric Monbert's departing and going back to France and the appointment of uh, Paddy Kisnorbo. Maury? Yeah, I think Melbourne City um, are starting to finally um, you know, hit the potential that we all thought that they could have uh, in, in terms of look, recruitment. It's never really going to be, you need to get it right, Simon, but their networks are incredible. Uh, Paddy Casnorbo stepping in after the, the good work with, with Mombet, so I think is a positive for the football club and they've still got great talent. So I think they've had a very good season. I'll be disappointed that they didn't actually get the, uh, the opportunity to lift some trophies, but for me, they're a seven and a half out of 10. Spider. For me, they're an eight. I take two points of them for losing the grand final and the cup final. Other than that, I thought that I thought they were exceptional. I thought they did a fantastic job. Uh, obviously, the manager come in and turn the joint upside down, which was needed. Uh, and hopefully, they give Paddy the same free reign. And I'm sure they will continue their success. Uh, did we ask you for marks out of ten? Yeah, eight. You said eight out of ten. Okay, uh, Melbourne victory across uh, town. Possibly their worst season ever. Marco mm-hmm. Kurtz came and went. Uh, Grant Brebner now given the reins to rebuild. Uh, they've already lost Andrew Naboot, Lawrence Thomas, James Donachy for next season. On the plus side, uh, the fact that they were out of finals contention, I, suppose, I should mention Ola Toivonen as well, of course, he's gone. Yeah. Uh, but on the plus side, they, d- they did blood some youngsters, the likes of Aaron Anderson and Lewis Laurie Latanzio. They were given an opportunity, Maury. They were, um, and, and obviously they were able to because there was nothing to play for uh, once we, we restarted. Uh, for me, I get the, the, the feeling that, you know, after the Ange Postacoglu's and Kevin Muskets where, you know, they really controlled what was happening at Melbourne Victory, I feel as if there's, there's too many Chiefs. Um, hopefully, uh, Grant Brebner, who, uh, you know, has great knowledge and experience within the game, uh, I think that he can come in and do a, a good job. But Melbourne Victory were... Really, really poor. They're a massive club. They massively underperformed this year, and I give them a four. 
Yeah. Uh, four, you're actually being quite nice there, Maury. I'm going to go lower. I'm going to go as a three. And I, I think Melbourne Victory will learn a lot from this year. After losing, like what you said, they had staff there like Muskie, Anthony Creer, John Paul DeMarini, they Steve Mortone, uh, who else have, uh, you know, people who knew the culture of the club. They made a huge mistake when they signed Kurtz, showing the importance of a good manager who's got free reign to choose and make what's happening at the club. So three, big lesson, but knowing the size of Melbourne victory, I'm sure they bounce will uh, bounce back. Let's move on to the Newcastle Jets. Um, not a great start to the season. Ernie Merrick departed the club in January. Carl Robinson came in and uh, instigated a, a huge revival, even though ultimately they missed uh, the finals. In terms of next season, Demi Petratos has, has departed the club to go to Saudi Arabia, as we understand it. And of course, the club is, is up for sale. They need a buyer, Maury. Yeah, New, look, Newcastle Jets, they're kind of, they're never normally just in the middle or, or just having an average. They're either shit hot or, or, or not great. Um, or just but, the first look, bit. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but the reality is um, Newcastle, uh, since Carl Robinson have, uh, has come in, he's, he's done a very good job. Uh, yeah, he's going to lose Petrados, who's a, who's a big player. But, you know, Carl has, a, again, decent networks uh, and so does Kenny Miller. Um, Newcastle Jets... Season football's finished too too early for them because they they were, were playing some great stuff and getting some some really good results. So look over the season, um, I, again I'll probably give Newcastle Jets a five, uh, and that's no disrespect to, to to Carl Robinson because I think since he's come in they've they've looked a hell of a lot better. But over the season I've got to say five. Yeah, I give him a five and a half, Maury, uh, because they were shite uh, until he until Carl Robinson come in, and they yep. didn't make the six. They didn't make the playoffs, which is the top six, so I'll give him a five and a half. But I think the future is bright with uh, him in charge. All right, on to uh, Perth Glory. A, a very disappointing end to the season. Uh, obviously, Tony Popovich has gone. We've discussed that at length uh, already. Uh, Diego Castro's future is, is rather unclear. Um, I thought they missed Gregory Vutrick a lot. Uh, just look at mm. the stats. His last eight matches, Glory conceded seven goals. In the last eight games without him, they conceded 16. And yet still on the back of that, they got to within a game of the grand final. A, a really yeah. odd season for Perth, this one, Maury. Yeah, look, it, it was. Uh, but I think the important thing was you touched on right at the end there. Still got to within a game of the grand final. Look, it wasn't a, a season that kind of just hummed along. Um, sometimes you need a little bit of luck in terms of the injuries, in terms of uh, players, um, you know, suspensions and all those kind of things. Popper, Popper had a tough job this season. Um, and there were some results where he had to bounce back. He did bounce back. Um, so I still think that Perth Glory over the course of the season... Uh, for me, are a six and a half out of ten. Um, they they can be better, um, but I thought they were still decent this year. Yeah, uh, I give them a six, Maury. Simply, I, I thought they could have won the championship if they didn't lose all the players post COVID. And I think what people, and I think Popper copped a lot of wrong, wrongly criticised uh, for for what happened. Because he was, his team actually lost the most players. We, you know, we can cover it up which, whichever way we want. But he lost five very key players going into the players and post post uh, COVID. So to actually get within one game uh, of the grand final is very much a pass marker. Six, 
They've got a massive job uh, in recruiting a new manager. And I hope this time that Hayden Fox gets his opportunities. Worked under Popper at Western Sydney Wanderers. Didn't get his chance there. They've never recovered from the mistake they made in uh, announcing the coach that come in after Popper. Hopefully Perth learned by that. And Foxy gets his opportunity to continue on the work uh, that Popper's left behind. I think I think your job's safe in Zanti for another week or two at least, uh, Spider. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sydney FC, uh, the benchmark again, new Australian record of five championships, a settled team. Most of their transfers work. Costa Barbarousas, Alexander Bam Johan, Ryan McGowan, uh, Luke Bratton, everyone a hit. And of course, they lost Alex Brosk and Brandon O'Neill from their title-winning team from uh, the year before. Uh, the question mark, I guess, for next season, looks like Adam LaFondra is, is out of the door, as though he could be mm-hmm. going to Mumbai City. Uh, can they continue to maintain the heights? But in terms of this season, Maury, peerless. Yeah, very much so. Look, apart from the little, the little blip in terms of the restart, but, you, you know, you look at the, uh, the players that they've had, their the, the recruitment from Steve Corica, um, you know, they're a very steady team with great professionals. Uh, you know, you even look at the grand final, I think it was the last couple of minutes, he was able to bring Bomihon, who's played at the highest level, on as a, as a substitute late in that game. So it shows you the depth that Sydney FC have. Uh, they'll recruit well again for, for next season. Uh, but this season, for me, star team, eight and a half out of ten. Eight, eight and a half? Only eight and a half, and they've won the double. <laughs> Man, you can't get, you can't, look, for me, nobody's been perfect in terms yeah. of giving them a ten. Um, so, mate, come on. I'm, I'm scoring. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So, naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. How I see it. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Big chops, you score it however you want, son. <laughs> Mate, that's it. Now, clearly for me, the benchmark of Australian football. I know a lot of people won't like to hear me saying that, uh, but I've worked at, you know, three of the big clubs in Australia, and they are the benchmark. Uh, they seem to get it right more often than they get it wrong. Uh, very successful. Bimbi done a fantastic job. And you know what? They'll lose LaFondra, and they'll recruit well, and they'll bring in good players. They yeah. blooded some young players, gave them an opportunity. Uh, look, post-COVID, they weren't great, but they'd already run, won the minor premiership. So the bleep, I'm going to give them an eight and a half as well. I thought they were very, very good uh, and the benchmark of the A-League. Simon, so what would you give them out of interest? Well, I think as a bare minimum, a nine. <laughs> I suppose the only vote you could take off them, they didn't win the FFA Cup, but goodness me. Uh, you know, when you win the Premiership and, and the Championship and you go back to back. Uh, anyway, look, yeah. it's all a matter of opinion. Mate, it's a tough school. Mate, yep. Uh, yep. That's a tough school, this. Mate, you're a hard marker, <laughs> the pair of you, but that's, you know better than me. <laughs> uh, it, you mentioned good recruitment is key. Let's move on to Wellington Phoenix. Ufuk Tale, uh, this is only my personal opinion. I know Steve Corica will win the Coach of the Year award, and that's fair enough too for winning those trophies. But yeah. what Ufuk Tale did over the ditch in New Zealand, I thought was sensational. 
Uh, his recruitment was, was superb. Cam Devlin was very good. Stefan Marinovic between the posts was excellent. They got a full season out of Luke Devere, which is incredible yeah. given his injury yeah. concerns. Reno Piscopo was terrific. They continued to develop really good young talent. Liberato Kakache off to Belgium to play for Santruden on the back of Sarpreet Singh uh, last mm-hmm. year. Unfortunately, in terms of the finals, uh, COVID probably hits Wellington harder than most of the other clubs, Maury. Yeah, look, very much so. But uh, what, a, what a very, very positive se- season for um, Wellington Phoenix. Ulfie, I agree with you. I think he's done a remarkable job. Uh, because, look, he, he didn't just sort of like jump on the back of what, what Rudin had already achieved. He had to make changes. He lost players. Um, he blooded new uh, younger players. And, and I thought Ulfie done a, a fantastic job. Wellington Phoenix, for me, were um, a really exciting team to watch this season. I really enjoyed watching them. And for me, they get a 7.5 out of 10. Yeah, uh, again, uh, high praises for Wolfie and what he did. He changed the system. Uh, what Roods played at Wellington, he came in, he changed the system. He recruited fantastic, played a high-energy brand of football. Uh, for me, 7 out of 10. And he's, he's, a play, he's a coach going places, I think. Wolfie Talley done a fantastic job and just showed. Mm-hmm. You know what's scary, Maury, that he had to go to New Zealand to get his opportunity. And we've spoken about this before, that yep. a, a, a manager like that, had to go abroad, and we say abroad yeah. because it is abroad, yeah. to, to get an opportunity. And the same thing that happened to Roots. Yeah. So hopefully yeah. our, <clears throat> our Aussie clubs can start looking a little bit closer, which they are doing at the moment. Yeah. Now, I don't yeah. know if they're doing that because they want to do that or they're doing that to save money. I think they're doing it to save money, but it's great for the opportunity some of these guys are getting now. And Ulfie, and Ulfie will be sport for choice when he's, when he's ready. Yeah. Okay, uh, Western Sydney Wanderers went local after the good start under Marcus Bubble uh, completely evaporated. Uh, mm. In terms of their recruitment, again, some worked, some didn't. Perman Fiegler was good. Daniel Lopar was good. Alexander Meyer was offloaded very early. Uh, Majewski, the, the Polish number 10, unfortunately got a terrible injury. Uh, pre-season and it's now back in Poland. This was supposed to be the year of no excuses. That was the mantra this time last year for the move back to Parramatta and the new training venue. Just didn't work, did it? No, uh, in the end, uh, they'll be looking for, for plenty of excuses for what was a, a very disappointing season for, again, Western Sydney Wanderers. Um, for me, can, can be a real powerhouse um, with the, the, the catchment area that they have in terms of talent. But there seems to be something that's just not right there, there Simon, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the communication, the, the buy-in, the, the everybody moves together as one. Hopefully, uh, you know, JP getting the, the reins for, for the next season and be able to put his own stamp on the team. Hopefully, it can be a positive change for what was a very disappointing season. And I've got the Wanderers out of four. Uh, quite simply, they were rubbish. Uh, three unacceptable for a club of the size of Western Sydney Wanderers. And let me tell you, it's a huge club. Uh, I think the stench around the place is woeful. Uh, I think the amount of people that are there for self-interest is diabolical. And they actually need a massive industrial broom and clean the place out. And the thing with Wanderers, they need to stop talking because way too many people talk there. They need to start doing. They need to be a powerhouse of Australian football. Wow. Uh, so moving on to uh, Western United, uh, on the pitch, uh, they were terrific in terms of results. Diamante, Barisha, two big characters. 
uh, had great seasons. They, they were accused of uh, somewhat negative football at times. Uh, Mark Rudin had a little bit of a fallout with Scott McDonald. And of course, off the field, they, they struggled to pull a crowd and moved around uh, venues. Probably should be playing at a smaller, a smaller stadium. What was your view on Western United, Maureen? I thought, look, Western United, I thought they had a, a good season, uh, Simon. Uh, I thought Mark Rudin done a very good job. It didn't start the way I guess maybe they, they would have liked and, and fair play to Rudes who made some changes, uh, some significant changes and all of a sudden uh, a little bit of youth, some legs in the team mixed with the talent of the, of the Diamante and the Barishas. And they may not have been getting the, the crowds, uh, but they certainly have a team that they should, uh, or they should have fans wanting to support. I thought they had a, a very good season. Uh, six and a half out of ten. Can they play in a smaller venue? That's something that I'm sure they're, they're looking into. Spider. Maury, not bad, buds. I like that six and a half out of ten. That's exactly what I had in mind for Rudes' team. Look, I, I thought they started slowly, but I thought they just wanted to stabilise Maury. I, I, I think he was quite uh, negative at the beginning just to start to pick up points. But I think as the season grew on, they gradually got better and better. And I think the way they finished the season was very, very good um, to get within one game of the grand final. Big pass mark, a lot to build on, bright future. Good job, six and a half out of ten for Western United. Okay, and that uh, completes our review of uh, the clubs in the A-League for this season. Uh, next year, of course, MacArthur FC will be with us. Uh, they made some good on-field signings, the latest of which is Ivan Frenich. Uh, they've also released their membership prices this week, which is attracting a bit of attention, $440 for active support, which a lot of people think is a bit too steep. Anyway, we'll see how MacArthur go on the pitch and off it uh, next season. Uh, final bit of this segment, uh, what is your team of the season? Maury, we'll start with you. Oh, hang on, hang on. I've just got to bring that up, Simon, again. Well, I'll tell you what, whilst you do that, I will give you mine. Um, so here is my 11 of the season. In goal, Andrew Redmayne. Uh, a back four of Ryan Grant, Ryan McGowan, Curtis Goods and Liberato Cacace uh, in midfield. Now, Spiders attack me for this because he says there's no defensive cover. He might well be right. Uh, Luke Bratton, uh, Riley McGree. I know he'll have to play a bit deeper in this system, which he won't like. Sorry, Riley. Ulysses <laughs> Davila, Alessandro Diamanti, and then uh, a front two of Adam LaFondra, and Jamie McLaren. I know it's not exactly a well-balanced 11, but I think they were the best uh, 11 in the uh, your, That's your, your team, Simon. You can do whatever <laughs> you want and pick whoever you want. So, look, I, I have managed to find my team. Right. Um, and I've, I've got uh, Jamie Young uh, in goals. I've gone for a flat-back four uh, with Kakachi at left fullback, two central defenders, uh, Taylor and Harrison Delbridge. And the mullet, Ryan Grant, at right fullback. I've gone for a, a diamond midfield uh, with Bratton, um, the deepest. I've got uh, Diamante at the very top with Riley McGree on the left and Barbarousas on the right. And up top, I've gone with Jamie McLaren and LaFondre. Interesting. So not that much different. Very attacking mine, really. teams there, boys. <laughs> Go on, Spider. Spider's playing a 4-3-3. So, Simon, you see how the two coaches sort of said what system they were playing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you want me to read your team out, Spider? Because I know that it's... That would be nice, coach. maybe. Yeah. Right, here you go. So, Spider's gone with Paul Izzo in goal. 
Uh, mm -hmm. Ryan Grant at right back, Liberato Kakaccio at left. I think we all agree with that. The two central defenders, Stephen Taylor and Tomoki Imai, which is a very interesting one from Western United. Uh, then in midfield, he's gone Josh Belante, Adrian Luna, Riley McGree, Alessandro Diamante, and uh, Reno Piscopo. Is this a 4 5 1 with Jamie McLaren up top, or is it more attacking than that? It's very well balanced. Uh, it's, a, it's a 4 3 3, Simon. I've got, I've got uh, Diamante rolling in from the right side, and I've got Piscopo rolling in from the left side for <laughs> filtering balls through to McLaren, who will run always <laughs> in behind. And I've got my two eights with uh, Riley McGree, box to box, and Luna box to box, and Brillante box just boxer. Up messing behind. They roll in from the flanks as you roll in from the pub at uh, 3 a.m. <laughs> Love it. Okay, thanks for that, boys. Uh, that's the A-League season covered, done and dusted. Now, this week, uh, because we've run a bit over time and we had some extra stuff to get away with uh, Zelko Kalitz's move to Greece, of course, we're going to skip our overseas segments and uh, we will be doing a more in-depth look at the Premier League in particular next week. Uh, but for now, we're going to move on to our final segment and our very special guest in Footballers' Lives. Footballers' Lives. So joining us today via Zoom from Edinburgh in Scotland is Ryan McGowan, who's just won the A-League Grand Final with Sydney FC. That's created, I don't know if you know this, a little piece of history, along with his brother Dylan. They are now the only siblings to have won the A-League Championship with different clubs. And after Joel and Adam Griffiths, just the second pair of brothers to win the A-League. The Griffiths, of course, did it with the Jets back in 2008. Now, before returning to Australia as a player, Ryan, who hails from Adelaide, of course, played in Scotland for Hearts, then moved on to China with Shandong Luneng, back to Scotland with Dundee United, back to China with Henan Zhanya and Guizhou Zicheng, then the UAE with Al Sharjah, then to England with Bradford City, back to Scotland briefly for a loan with Dundee before finally making his first senior appearance in his homeland at the start of the season just gone. That game, of course, just happened to be in Adelaide and to top it all, he scored a last-minute winner. Of course he did. He's won 20 caps for Australia, played the 2014 World Cup and he's known to most as Gowser, I think. How are you, Gowser? Good to see you, mate. Very good, thank you. Very Thank good. you very much for getting guys. up uh, so early in the morning for us over there in Scotland. Um, no I problem. know that you, you had to leave your newborn daughter over there to return to Australia and go into the hub uh, with Sydney FC. So you must be delighted to be back in the UK to, to be able to see her. Yeah, I just had to reintroduce myself and <laughs> let her know that I'm not just a phone, really. She's only seen me from <laughs> the phone. But yeah, it's been good. It's been good being back. Um, yeah, pretty much left on the Tuesday after the grand final. So sobered up for the flight and put the long <laughs> flight over and yeah daddy daycare since then and the, the, the grand final ryan a, a tough game uh, i think probably melbourne city would would have found defeat tough to take but do you think that over the course of the 120 minutes you were the better team overall and then you can tell us about the big celebrations you had afterwards uh yeah i thought it was a good game to be honest for a final i thought it was pretty open um i thought both teams believed if they played the way they can play, they can win, which I think as a spectacle, you kind of really want to see. And um, yeah, I thought they started really well. Probably first 20 minutes, we're under the pump. Um, but then after that, I think we just slowly kind of grew into the game and, and started getting our foothold on it. And um, yeah, possibly take out Glover and a couple of his saves. We could have possibly won it um, in normal time. And then extra time was a little bit, I, I, I felt like, 
it's probably looking like penalties unless someone did something special. And yeah, lucky enough that Bratzi worked on a play that we've we've worked on all season, and, and Buster got in on the right and did a nice finish, and we could hold out and, and win. Gauza, with the, I mean, obviously the restart, Sydney FC probably didn't bounce back the way that you would have liked. So in yep. terms of you know mentally, obviously the the squad that you do have, there's there's great experience within that squad. Um, how you know in terms of what was going through your mind in terms of that switch and, and were you able to did you feel that you were able to turn that switch on I mean obviously you did but that mm-hmm. does play a part in football where sometimes after a run of bad results it does put that element of doubt in people's heads yeah we were quietly confident but at the same time you know we did have a couple of meetings and um, you know we spoke as a playing group in terms of it's all right saying to switch it on but it's it, like you said it's quite difficult to then switch it on but um, I think a lot of it was a little bit circumstantial in terms of the, I think all the teams we played from the restart either had something to play for or, or kind of had to win when they played us. Um, and we were also maybe slipped into that mindset of we had won it um, and let's just sort of build ourselves up for the semi-final. We knew it would be a one-off game. Um, so, and then again, you know, the teams that we played, I think we played Newcastle Jets. They beat us um, second game in and everyone said that's the best game that they've ever played. Then we played, I um, can't remember now who we played. Like everyone that we seemed to play seemed to like always have their best game. Them. Yeah. Um, you know, knocking us off with being the premiers. Melbourne City, they beat us 2-0. Um, you know, and everyone was like, that was their best performance of the season. So we kind of came up against teams that were needing to either to win to make the six or win to finish second. And um, yeah. yeah, we probably took our eye off the ball looking in hindsight. But at the same time, we're also training well and, and maybe just results not going our way. And, um, yeah, I thought the first half against Perth kind of blew them out of the water. And, um, yeah, and then the, obviously the grand final, we most of us have been there or done that or played in big games before and, and know how to kind of handle that occasion, which which we did perfectly. Ryan, Mate, I, sorry, go on, Spider. Yep. I, I knew you would get to the grand final. Uh, I told everyone you would get to the grand final. I don't it, know, it didn't uh, back you, though. Yeah, he's no, been I've been, I've I've been watching. I've been watching the podcast, so he's just lying. He just lied there for the first thirty seconds. <laughs> you know, it is frustrating as a player, ain't it? When you keep here, so you've won the minor premiership. You're pissed at him, right? So all of a sudden, now you're a shit team because you've lost a few games. Was it irritating for the players to keep hearing the media Sydney FC lose again? They're on the downward slide. Um, and how did Bimby keep the dressing room? I know, I know Bimby would have been quite strategic in the way you just wanted to keep everyone fit. But was it actually giving you guys a bit of uh, aggression towards everyone? Because you didn't really hit the praise you deserved for winning the minor premiership so easily. Yeah, a, a little bit. It was a little bit frustrating amongst the players in terms of, I think if we beat Newcastle Jets when we, we could have got presented at the award, I think it was the second game back, we would have won the league with five games to go. Yeah. And then, at the end of the season, <laughs> there was a few people saying, you know, if um, Melbourne City had won one more extra game, there would have only been two points behind. We felt a bit oh. like... My grandma... You know, like, what? Yeah, if... Do you know what I mean? We've, we've won it. Imagine if we, you know, we beat Wanderers once, we would have won it with six games to go. So it was a little <laughs> bit disrespectful in terms of... Um, in terms of that. And then we sort of switched our focus to, you know, let's make sure it's, our season's going to be defined by a semi-final and a, and a one-off game. And um, yeah, to be honest, within the playing group, we were, we were pretty relaxed in terms of knowing what we needed to do. I think the coaching staff was a little bit 
more not wanting to wanting wanting us to rest on our laurels and um yeah bimby was we'd sort of set some targets internally in terms of points and clean sheets and goals so you know he he was pretty focused on trying to achieve those things um you know kind of forget about the the premiership and that's what he wanted us to focus on in, in those kind of last five games but um at the end of the day he also said we wanted to to win both trophies and go back to back which hasn't been done all that often so um yeah he was pretty delighted by the end of it but i'm sure he was a little bit stressed um halfway through the break coming back ryan i'm, pl- I'm pleased you brought up the, the wanderers there because uh, of course you, your brother dylan plays for western sydney did that help you sort of settle back into life in australia because i know that you were i think you were literally next door neighbors uh, where you lived in sydney and I, i'm sure dylan reminds you or has reminded you that out of all the trophies you've won this season, you didn't beat the Wanderers in, in three attempts this season. Yeah, it was pretty quick to, to remind me <laughs> that. And, um, I think after the last game, <laughs> when we drew, uh, we're shaking hands afterwards and um, he's like, you guys, you must be delighted to go draw off us. <laughs> <laughs> so I think you're about 17 points behind us, mate. This is enough for uh, the comments after the game. But um, yeah, you know, it was definitely good to, to settle in after... Um, been away for so long and it's probably the first time we used to live together when we were at Hearts and then after that remember that uh, yeah we've kind of went here there and everywhere um the both of us so it was good to be back in the in the same city and and sort of settle down but um yeah we both knew players from from each from each club as well which you know really helped us settle down and um enjoy our seasons Gauza, I wanted to ask you a question, mate, because this is the now the big talking point in terms of seasons finished uncertainty about when we start again, player contracts. How has it been left with uh, yourself and, and, and other players in terms of leaving uh, the club for the remainder of the season? When do you come back? What does that look like? Yeah, so I think we're in a bit of a difficult uh, or different situation from other clubs in terms of, I think we've got 21 players already signed for next year. So our squad's pretty much um, tied up in terms of, you know, um, there's not many of us in the group that are leaving or have that uncertainty of, of other clubs or wondering who everyone's going to bring in. Um, so on one hand, we're, we're pretty um, solid in that situation. You know, we're not worried about are they going to give us another year or what's going to happen. Probably the only uncertainty is no one knows when the when the season's going to start. Um, I know a, a few clubs have kind of told their players they'll possibly have you know a ten to twelve week lead in. Yep. So whenever the, whenever the season's announced, kind of work back from there on, on when you're due yep. to report in. Um, we sort of have the, the Champions League up in the air. So we, we have kind of no idea. It's kind of been a expect a phone call once we know more and, and we'll go from there. Yep. But I, I guess I'm maybe more so my question is around about the, the uncertainty, the CBA still not being agreed. I know players potentially still have, as you said, 21 players still contracted for next season at Sydney FC. But then, is there still that uncertainty of all of a sudden you come back and now we're going to offer you something 20, 30% less of what you're expected to get? Yeah, we, yeah we'll still also have to wait for that phone call on, on, uh, <laughs> on what you're going to get. So, um, yeah, I think my wife hates it because after the COVID break, you get the phone call to say, you know, there's your 17, 20% plus and- job keepers and um, you're due on a flight in a couple of days and then. After that, it's, um, you know, when are you going back next? <laughs> so I'm going to get a phone call of some kind of reduction and, and it goes from there. So, um, yeah, I think obviously with the, the PFA and the people that be, they'll make the decision on 
on what's best for the group. And um, I think it's also very difficult to make a, you know, you're probably making a league decision on players who are all at different stages of their careers at different financial points of their careers. So it's, um, you know, what some players would take 30% and just be delighted to be playing in the A-League and other players you know, possibly couldn't even take 30%. They'd have to look at something else. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you're a younger player and you're wanting to get out, um, you know, clubs are going to have a difficult decision in terms of, of what they want to do and, and how the clubs want to go moving forward. And um, I'm just glad I'm not at that table trying to make those decisions. Mate, at the moment anyway, Ryan, look at the bright side, mate. You're not scared to travel. So if they do give you a reduction, Zunt is only two-hour flight from <laughs> Scotland. <laughs> I'll meet you there. <laughs> Ryan, hey, mate, let me tell you, mate, it's warm here. <laughs> Probably warmer than Edinburgh. Um, that, that's for the future, Ryan. I just want to dip into uh, the, the distant past for a, for a moment if we can. Um, obviously, you spent a large chunk of your career in Scotland. You're very closely associated with that part of the world. Your family's uh, originally from Scotland. Um, the highlight of your career there was that uh, famous Scottish Cup final, Hearts against Hibs. You're smiling even at the, my suggestion <laughs> of that memory. And you scored in the, in the 5-1 romp. Was that, along with the grand final win that you just played in, was that one of your best days in football? Yeah, it'd definitely be up there. Um, I think from a personal point of view, that was the club that I left, you know, when I was 16, 17, left Adelaide. And, um, you know, that was the first kind of club that gave me an opportunity or, or I felt believed in me in terms of, you know, they gave me the platform to go out there and try and be a professional footballer. And, um, yeah, it probably took me three or four years to to get in the first team and, you know, all the uncertainty in terms of, went on loan three times different managers um you know kind of finally break through into the first team start playing regularly um and then we played in some like big games played against um you know Liverpool in the Europa League qualifiers Tottenham in the Europa League qualifiers so beat Celtic in the semi-final last minute penalty then go on to beat Hibs in the final score so it was just a kind of combination of you know six seven years of of hard work and and trying to make it you know, repaying the fans and the club back in terms of what they provided for for myself in terms of platform and, and being able to to be a professional footballer. And um, yeah, you know, it's something that, you know, like every young or every club likes to see players coming through and, you know, they, the club kind of took me in as, as one of their own. And um, yeah, even still now, only yesterday I keep getting stopped or, you know, someone offered to buy me a pint and keeps talking about, you know, the that day in May in the cup final. So it's, you know, still eight, nine years on. Everyone still talks about it, which is... Um, culture, Gauza. Eh? Culture, mate. That's, that's a yeah. difference on, <laughs> over I'll there. buy your beer. Yeah. yeah no, <laughs> but, but not so much to, not, not so much to <clears throat> buy you the beer. It's just you're remembered because these, these supporters, uh, they give everything to their, to their football club that they support. And mate, they, don't, they don't forget. They don't forget moments like that. They won't forget that unbelievable victory and that you scored in the in the final. That, that you know, so you'll keep going back to Scotland years um, after years after years, and the same people will, will say it. But in terms of your playing career, we like to ask the player favorite stadium, um, favorite goal, and your best assist. I know what your best assist is because I've heard the story, but I'm sure some, <laughs> some others haven't. <laughs> I've made a few assists, so I need to think about that one, but um. Yeah, I've been lucky enough to play in a few, a few great stadiums. Um, you know, been very fortunate enough in my career to, 
to have done as well as I have done. But I'd probably say um, probably Anfield in, in Europe. We had that Europa League qualifier. We got beat 1-0 at, um, at Tynecastle and then we went 1-0 up in Anfield like last five minutes or so. And, and they put a pretty strong team out, Suarez, Gerard, you know, they, they had the few big boys at Anfield. So, um, yeah, probably that goal in terms of, you know, our away fans and that chance of, you know, we could be taking Liverpool to extra time. And, you know, for five minutes, we had that dream of, you know, the big <laughs> cup upset. And then Suarez <laughs> decided to just shoot that down and score in the last minute. We got knocked out in away goals. But, um, yeah, that was probably one of the best atmospheres, you know, growing up in Adelaide to think you would play against Liverpool, albeit a Europa League qualifier was was pretty special and um yeah favorite goal would probably be I scored in a Chinese cup final that Simon's not looked at so um yeah I was, <laughs> I've seen it I've time. seen it don't worry I've seen so, it so yeah I was confident going into this grand final in terms I played three grand finals and scored in two so now it's two and four so good record good fight right, right. but um yeah probably cup final against Hibs um it was a tap in but you know I think what it meant and the whole day and experience and yeah and like you said, everyone kind of remembers, you know, you can ask any Hearts fan, they can probably rattle off the starting 11 and the subs and what minute everyone scored in. So that's, you know, it's a pretty proud um, moment to, to be associated with. And then probably greatest assist was, um, yeah, I had a good cross in China when I was playing for Shandong against Jiangsu. So that was probably my best assist. Ah, uh, CCS so surprised me there. I was waiting for hang that. On, I was waiting. Hang on. I was waiting. We've, we've got to go to a Twitter question here. And I think this is what Craig is alluding to. This is coming from Jack George. Uh, and it's our question of the week. Well done, Jack. You win a $100 voucher for Outback Steakhouse. Has Tim Cale ever given you credit for the assist to his volley against the Netherlands at the World Cup in 2014? <laughs> yeah, he gave me like a sly pat on the back. Good ball. But then that was it. That's what I've heard from. But no, yeah, it's, you know, that again, that's definitely something that, you know, I've luckily enough been involved in and Maury was there in terms of, um, yeah, told the story before a little bit. I think I was the Stephen Bradbury of that sort of World Cup in terms of I didn't think I was, I thought I was on the fringes of even making the squad. Um, lucky enough to to make the squad as, as I believe the sort of good trainer slash squad player slash if needed at an emergency could play. And um, unlucky enough for... Franich, he, he pulled his hamstring in the first game and I got chucked on and and then um yeah then I think Millsy was gonna play right back and he kinda of got injured and then yeah, seemed to be that I was the last man standing and, and played. Hey, the puzzle just fell into place, mate. That's what happens. Yeah, sometimes it, yeah, yeah. it works like that and um You gotta be ready yeah. to be there. You know, and that's the thing, mate. Uh, I can see you're just such a humble guy. And you're willing to accept that role at any level, uh, and your career says that as well. And that, that's a big thing for young kids to, to know as well, because to have success and to have a career, you actually need to be humble and wait for opportunities. Yeah, exactly. You know, I th- I'm a big believer in, in doing the things that are free or doing the things that you can control. So, um, you know, it's like you, when you go to primary school, be a good be a good role model in terms of, you know, you listen to your coaches, you be on time, you you work hard every day, whether you're playing, whether you're not playing, whether you're the star player, whether you're the 15th man in terms of, of how you can apply yourself um, and just be a, a good person, to be honest, at the end of the day. And um, I think if you do all those things, then that rubs off on other people. And um, I don't think you can ever have too many good teammates in terms of, you know, even at Sydney, if you're not playing, it, you know, you still get the players being or wanting you to do well. That's how it feels. There's no sort of divide in that. And um, 
yeah, even more so when you when you represent Australia, you should be so lucky to be involved in that. So um, yeah, anytime I'm called up, I'm just delighted to be there. And if that's you know me training well against the starting eleven or or being involved or making sure that I'm doing the right things for set pieces, then then that's what you do. And if you're fortunate enough to play, then you then you've done all the right things in training to to give yourself that best opportunity if you do get the chance. And um, yeah, lucky enough I did. Ryan, you, you've had a terrific career and hopefully it's, it's going to go on for a few more years yet. Uh, before we let you go, uh, last question. It's coming from Twitter, again from Ben Archer. It's a, it's a two-pronged question, actually. Uh, first of all, where do you think Sydney FC would finish if they played in the Scottish Premier League or the Chinese Super League? Uh, and a second part to that, what is the funniest sledge or chant you've heard during your career? Oh. There's a few good ones in Scotland, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if I can repeat a few of them. Go on, go on. You can repeat anything on this show, mate. It doesn't go out anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure at um, Easter Road at Hibs when we played there. Um, so I was right back. So I used to be like right along the fans. Oh, mate. They're grumps there as well. Yeah, and a few, of the, um, a few of the good shouts, you know, to enjoy playing there because – like that, that's probably part of it as well, the banter and the sort of, especially in Scotland, it's kind of a, a free hit. You can meet anyone from any age or, and they just, they just go for you in the streets in terms of, you <laughs> <laughs> know, humble, Jimmy. <laughs> well, you know what it's like. It's like a Monday. You're at the shops just getting, your, you know, sort of bits and pieces and someone will just come out to you and nowhere and just go, you're shite at the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can mate, I have you a photo? And you're you like, uh, you shouldn't even be showing your face, mate. You were shite at the weekend. Uh, they're, they're savage. So um, yeah, probably probably Scotland's the best one in terms of like the banter that you get from opposing fans. Um, yeah, I always get asked that question in terms of like you know when I come here, everyone thinks you know how would Scottish teams do in in the A League, and then when I get to Australia, everyone asks. Um, it's difficult in Scotland. You've got good teams. Um, you know, probably the, the big four clubs would would laugh at if I said that they wouldn't win the A-League. And then at the same time, if I said that, you know, um, Sydney, I think they would do pretty well in the, in the Scottish Premier League. We've got some good players in our team. So, um, yeah, it's different. I would like to see yeah, a few I think Scottish teams. Nice yeah, I, was, well, yeah, I, I think, think it's just I think, well, Maury, tell us where they would be. No, no, I just think, as, like, Gaz, it's a, it's a mentality because you know what it's like, Gaz, in Scotland, like, every, every day, every day means something, eh, training-wise, uh, mate, because... Everyone wants to play. Um, yeah. So that, comp- that competition on a daily basis, yeah, they'll support you in terms of the weekend um, and whoever's starting and all that sort of stuff. But it's a competition that I think that they get on a day-to-day basis that we still don't get at most places in Australia that would fare them better over a season. They would come out and... and, and I, but it's hard. It's like, how do you compare yeah. to... Yeah, for sure. And I think sometimes, like you said, in touches of, of culture, in terms of players that aren't playing, I feel like in, in Scotland or in Europe as such, players that aren't playing work harder. Um, and I'm not saying this in terms of in, in Sydney because our, our squad's been been really good. But in terms of just looking from an outside, it's been my first year in, in the A-League mm-hmm. and you see players, oh, I'm not playing or um, I've not been given an opportunity, I've not been given yeah. a chance. And they just kind of think that's, you know, that's that. Whereas you don't have that over here. If you're not getting an opportunity or not, or you're not getting the chance, you do something about it. You, you work harder or you make sure you're the fittest one or you make sure you're stronger or you make sure that you're better with your weaker foot. You just don't get 
given opportunities because you're a good youth team player or mm. you've done well at NPL level or you know, you've played for 20 minutes um, you know, the week before and, and created a chance. That's kind of your, your role as a substitute is to make a difference. Um, yeah. And that's, probably, that's, that's where, again, like opportunities or you know, we're very fortunate in Australia to have so many different things that we can do. So it's, um, yeah, that's probably the difference in terms of even when you're starting and, and you're playing week in, week out in Europe, you know there's probably four or five people that are working just as hard as you, if not mm. harder, to try and take your place if you do slip up. And, um, yeah, hopefully in the coming years we can have that in Australia. And um, yeah, It's really a good message, Gauza. It's a really good message for the Australian player um, that just because you're not playing doesn't mean that, you look for excuses, you, you walk about the changing room, sort of like you, you lip dragging along the floor. That's when you've got to be even more positive. I think that's a great message for anybody that's not playing. You have mm. to work harder. Yeah, for sure. And especially, you know, I remember as a, as a young player being a little bit wet between the ears and being like, oh, I feel like I should be playing. And um, Andy Webster, remember him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Warwick, yeah. Defender, yeah, yeah. I remember he must have seen that I was moping around and he pulled me on a Tuesday. I was like, what right do you have to think that you should play? Mm-hmm. I remember just being like, oh, you know, I've trained well and you know, I just feel like I'm ready to play. He's like, you know, I've represented Scotland. I've played at big clubs. I've played over 200 senior games. Mm-hmm. You've played 20 minutes and you think you, you can't train as well because you're a little bit annoyed that you didn't, you didn't play at the weekend. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes you need those players at, at your clubs. We've definitely got it at Sydney in terms of, Yep. keeping the standards high and making sure that you know you need to be not only training well for a couple of weeks you need to be doing that week on week month on month to be yep. you know until everyone in the squad's thinking why is this player not getting that opportunity mate that's a that's a great message mate that that is uh that is fed income a great message and it shows why sydney fc's had so much success i always say that in every dressing room there should be a big bloody mirror so players can actually look at themselves in the mirror and not go around blaming other people all the time you're too tall for the mirror spider, unfortunately. <laughs> um, guys, we're going to have to leave it there because uh, we're running out of time and I think we should get, let uh, Ryan get some sleep as well. <laughs> hey, Gazza, th- thank you so much for joining us. I know it was an awkward time over there in the UK, but uh, we really appreciate it. Congrats again on your grand final success and uh, look thank forward to seeing much. you back in Australia very soon, mate. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much for having me. Right, right. Enjoy your time, Thanks very much, Ryan. And that is us for another week. Thanks uh, again to you for listening. Uh, We're now to well over 12,000 downloads of our episodes and we're closing in on 1,500 Twitter followers and providing the alarm clock works in Greece. I'll be back with Spider and Maury at the same time, same place next week. Until then, bye for now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.